This morning we have two readings. The first one is from Hebrews. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would find me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, they were, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of God for the people of God. And the second reading is from Luke. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have to come to bring people to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Holy word for holy people. A little over seven years ago, I went through some of those firsts that we all tend to encounter as we enter adulthood. 
I think I'll stand on stage to take care of the feedback. But know that I want to be among you. (laughs) Some of those things that I encountered were good. Some were hard. I quit smoking, a habit that I had picked up in college. Two weeks after that, I went through my first real breakup. And just two weeks after that, a close friend of the family, Larry, succumbed to a rare form of leukemia that he had been battling for 10 years. Now, separately, any of these things would have been difficult. But the fact that they hit at essentially the same time was almost too much to handle. So I did all that I felt I could do. I started running. And this was no small feat because, like I said, I had literally quit smoking four weeks beforehand. And that first run was pathetic. I got up at 4.45 in the morning and geared up. I was winded within a quarter of a mile and had to alternate between walking and jogging. The halfway point in that first run was the top of a very large hill that's close to my house. When I got to that hill, I ran 10 steps. And then I doubled over in pain and wheezed and gasped for air. And as I struggled up that hill, I pleaded with God to give me strength. God, give me strength to make it up this hill and give me strength to face all of the pain in my life. The next day I went again, same route, same pain. But this time I ran 13 steps up that hill. I still had to walk the rest, but 13 steps, that was a success. And I was winded and I was in pain, but I ran 13 steps up that hill. And I again pleaded with God to give me strength and peace in the midst of chaos. As the weeks went by, that hill no longer felt like an obstacle. And the quiet of the morning continued to be a good time to connect with God, sometimes crying out in anguish and other times celebrating some peace or some comfort in that time that was absent before. Running became more than just a physical activity for me. It was something spiritual, and it was a vital part of my relationship with God. About a month into this new routine, I heard an advertisement on the radio for Team and Training, an organization that, ru- that trains runners for marathons, while those runners raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Having just discovered this new passion for running, and having just lost Larry to leukemia, I signed up. I attended the information session, and that particular season, there were three marathon options. The Portland Marathon, the Nike Women's Marathon in San Francisco, and the Adidas Marathon in Dublin, Ireland. In weighing my options, I considered that Portland is fairly close to where I live, and I'd visited a a number of times, so I crossed that one off the list. I considered that I had also been to San Francisco a number of times, and while there are men who run it, Uh, The firefighters giving out Tiffany necklaces at the end of of the race are not really my cup of tea. So I crossed that one off the list as well. So I settled on the Adidas Dublin Marathon. And over the next six months, I trained regularly and prepared for that marathon. Every Saturday morning and Wednesday evening, I would meet with the others who signed up and we would run and share a meal together. And on every other day of the week, I would create my own routine and go running first thing in the morning. And all was going well until about three weeks before the trip, I injured myself. I had to further, I had to restrict any further training to an elliptical 
and anyone who's been on an elliptical the equivalent of twenty miles will tell you it is boring and it takes a lot of commitment but i pressed on and on an early october morning i traveled with my teammates to dublin to run my first marathon now before getting on the plane that day i emailed all of my supporters and i said I don't care if I break my ankle as I cross the starting line. I will crawl 26.2 miles because you have put your faith in me and I need to do this to remember Larry. Fortunately, I did not break my ankle as I crossed the starting line. (laughs) And the day of the marathon is a holiday in Dublin and the people of the entire city line the route and I had my name on my jersey and they were yelling, Very good, Kyle. Keep it up. You're doing so well in an Irish accent that I cannot recreate. So I won't even try. And I was doing great. But at mile 14, my knee blew out. I know now that I overextended my IT band, but at the time I only knew that I was in extreme pain. And I continued, but my progress was painful and slow. Tears welled up in my eyes as I considered the very real possibility that I may not finish. But I made a promise to my friends and to my family, and I pressed on. At mile 21, I saw someone else who was seeming to have trouble as well. His name was Peter Dawson, and he was from Dublin. We struck up a conversation and kept each other going. So when I asked him how long he had trained for the marathon, keeping in mind that I had trained for about seven months. I was surprised when he laughed and responded, training? I didn't train. I just thought it would be fun to run a marathon. I was shocked. (laughs) A marathon is an accomplishment and a test of endurance, both mental and physical and for some of us spiritual, but a marathon is not fun. And the days beyond the marathon are especially not fun. Now, the level of commitment that Peter felt versus the level of commitment that I felt became apparent in the last 500 yards, or maybe more appropriately, meters, as we were in England, or in Ireland, of the course. Peter and I rounded the last corner, and the finish line came into view. Peter just kept walking. He didn't invest in training, and he didn't really invest in finishing either. But as soon as I saw it, I started sprinting. I rejected the pain and I threw my hands into the air in victory. And the crowds were cheering for me as if I were the first one to cross the finish line. I learned early on that you sprint to the finish line. And you don't just sprint to the finish line, you sprint through the finish line. No slowing down until after you've crossed that line. This is what I had trained for. And as soon as I crossed that finish line, I was hit by a wave of emotions that I can't even describe. My physical and mental exhaustion manifested in uncontrollable tears. I called my parents who were eight hours behind, so it was about five in the morning, and all I could choke out was, I finished. Upon returning, I had my knee diagnosed, treated, and ultimately started hitting the road again. And on a daily basis, I ran anywhere from, from 8 to 12 miles, six days a week. And on one particular Friday, I heard about a marathon that was happening the next day. And I thought, I think I could do that. And so I signed up and ran again. 
I could make those last minute decisions because I was prepared. Now, when I talk about this notion of preparedness, it may sound as though I am judging Peter or criticizing him. But the truth is that we both finished. And even in his unpreparedness, he managed to finish within minutes of my time. I would certainly never choose to run a marathon without training, but Peter did. And he completed it. And that is commendable. But my own actions and my choice to train does not give me warrant to judge him or his actions. In the gospel lesson this morning, Jesus states that his message will bring division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. These words seem harsh because we like to think of Jesus as a unifier and one who brings peace and calm in the midst of chaos. But I believe that Jesus' use of family units in this example is not an accident. I remember my mother telling me constantly as a child that I needed to be prepared for rejection from the world because of my faith even willing to die for it. And yes, in a sense, this is a possibility. We hear stories of various people and people groups who are in danger of genocide simply because of their ethnic or religious heritage. But here at home, this is much less prevalent. But within families and social circles, we are often taught to avoid certain conversations because of the tensions and differences among us that may arise. Any of you remember going home from college after that first semester and wanting to share your experiences and your new knowledge and your parents wanted to bury their heads in the sand because you were wrong and they were right? My mom told me to, to uh, prepare for persecution from the world, but really when I visit my family, there are three topics we avoid, sex, religion, and politics. I know that our differences in belief related to those three subjects have uh, more power to divide us than just about anything else that we have encountered as a family. And it's because we hear Jesus' words through different experiences. And we often hear the message differently and choose to act it out differently as well. Even beyond families, we see this faith-rooted division playing out all around us. I used to work at PLU in the campus ministry office and I oversaw all of the student-run religious clubs and organizations. In order to create their clubs, the students had to create mission and purpose statements, find a staff or faculty advisor, and get a certain number of signatures from other students who said that they would get involved. And each year, the mission statements would come in, and it seemed as though all of the leaders had gotten together in one room, pulled Christian phrases out of a hat, applied them to their mission statements in different orders and submitted them. The mission statements were often so alike that I would call a meeting involving several of the leaders and simply ask, why don't you come together to create one dynamic club instead of remaining apart in three anemic clubs? And the answers were always petty. They lift their hands up during worship. We want to meet on Sunday nights. They want to meet on Sunday afternoons. 
Their divisions had nothing to do with the life of Jesus. Their divisions were human, and really they were only echoes of the divisions that exist between many denominations today. And I think we've all seen it. We do not go to the extreme of the Westboro Baptist Church, which pickets military funerals and holds signs stating, God hates one particular group or another. But there are less flagrant examples that we own daily. Times when we create barriers of them and us because it feels easier to build walls than bridges, even when we believe alike. But there's hope too. In the Hebrews text this morning, Paul writes, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul writes, let us run the race set before us, not set before them or set before others, but set before us. I think this text gives us liberty and perhaps even calls us to focus on ourselves and reject the doctrinal stuff and get back to the basics of Christianity. I certainly do not mean that we are called to ignore those in need, but rather our role is to focus on our own spiritual journeys and not concern ourselves with how others believe. I think this is especially applicable now in the United Methodist Church as there's much discussion about how we, move, how we will move forward as a denomination in the face of division around multiple subjects. But I have to tell you, it doesn't matter. If we are doing the work of the church, then all of these secondary topics do not matter. If we are loving our neighbors and professing the life and love of Christ to those on the margins, then none of these other issues matter. So I have to ask, are we the church when we hold picket signs and scream at those with differing views? Are we the church when we hoard away our excess and plenty when others have nothing? Are we the church when we avert our eyes and ignore the needy? Are we the church when we hold fast to our beliefs without considering the experiences of others? The answer is yes. We are still the church. But these actions contribute to how others view the church and may impact whether they ever choose to get involved or follow Jesus or not. So I have to ask, are we the church when we act in compassion? Are we the church when we do what we can to provide for the needs of others? Are we the church when we set aside our own prejudices and choose to get involved and reach across the aisle? The answer is yes. And if we consider the people that Jesus spent his time with, the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, all marginalized people, then these actions as the church are more in line with the life and ministry of Jesus. The truth of the matter is that the journey with Jesus is a lot like a marathon. It is long and difficult and can seem unbearable at times. And it is easy to compare ourselves to others 
and gauge ourselves as better or right. But as we train more and more, we will endure. And as we are faithful, our neighbors will become our friends and we will journey together in love of God and each other. Our communities will be impacted and the light of Christ will shine through us. And when the day comes, we will cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.